Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. This week we're coming right back into the book of Daniel, which is what well, which is a prophetic book written to Jews living in exile in the nation and empire of Babylon way back before Jesus, but it was also not only written to them, but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, also applicable even to us today. Babylon was a nation that was trying to get Daniel and his friends to compromise in their faith and reject their faith in God and join with them in a new way of living. And Daniel and his friends took on new names, they took on a new dress code, they learned a new language, they learned a new job, even took a government job, and yet they still didn't compromise their faith. There had to be something that kept them calm and confident and continuing on in their ways of God. And Daniel chapter 2 tells us exactly why they were able to continue on in the ways of God without losing faith, without becoming angry, without panicking, without running away, and uh, kind of just having faithful endurance. We're going to read the entire chapter 2 of Daniel. It's a little long, but if you can hang with me, it'll be worth it. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 2, and we can find out why Daniel and his friends remained faithful and what it has to say about us remaining faithful, why we live in Babylon. You know, a a lot of people think, well, um, the United States isn't Babylon. Well, no, it's not exactly Babylon, but any nation that is not directly uh, pointed at God is a type of Babylon. Any nation that uh, tries to get us to compromise our faith is a type of Babylon. And um, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of pressure on me to compromise my faith, to join in with a new way of, of looking at life, which isn't a new way, but it's, it's an old way that's repackaged that seems new of, of going against God's, God's word and going against the way he designed us and going against the lifestyle he says would be healthy. And so um, there's this pressure to compromise and leave our faith, and God never tells us to do that. Daniel chapter 2 is going to give us the confidence, um, I believe, if we, can, if we can look into it and, and take it to heart and reflect on it, meditate on it, and use it, it can give us the confidence to continue to live for God. Uh, chapter 2, Daniel. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to his astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Now, I got to ask you this. The, the king has enough power to, if he has a bad dream, kill somebody for it. Now, does that make the king uh, more honorable or does that make him more beastly? That a, a person with power would be willing to kill somebody else uh, if they felt uncomfortable, does that make them more powerful? Does that make them more honorable? Or does it make them more beastly? 
And I think it makes them more beastly that they'd be willing to do it. Once more, verse 7, the astrologers, enchanters, and divination, the sorcerers, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king answered, I'm certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king. There's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing, any magician or of, of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Just as a side note, they got half of that right. There is no one that can reveal a dream to somebody else except God, but he does dwell among us. Verse 12. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. I want you to notice something um, in my uh, in my translation. It set that passage of scripture apart as a song or a poem. And anytime you see uh, in a narrative, especially in the Old Testament, scripture put aside in a poem or a song, uh, the song is uh, the author's way of telling us this is going to be a major theme in the book that you're reading, in the chapter that you're reading. And not only is this a major theme in the book of Daniel, but it is a major biblical theme that comes up over and over and over again as you read through the scripture. Verse 24, that continues. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret the dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? I love Daniel's humility here in verse 27. Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. 
As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large image, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on the feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and it became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things into pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the, times, in the time of those kings, verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will, be, will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it, it, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision and the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you, will you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. That's a lot to take in in Daniel chapter 2, but it's one complete story in the book of Daniel, and it is so important for us to read. I want to point out that something that may not be show up in your translation, Daniel chapter 1 begins and it's written in Hebrew, almost as if it was written just for the Hebrew people living in exile. And then Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, is written in a language that was common in Babylon and common in that whole Middle Eastern area that uh, Babylonians and probably the Jewish exile people spoke, and that was the language of Aramaic. It was almost like this section of the Bible, chapter 2 to chapter 7 of the book of Daniel, was written so that all of the community, every, the most amount of people could read it. And I wonder if it was written that way so that they could hear about 
the mighty power, the omniscience and omnipotence of our Lord and God, the sovereign ruler of all of earth and all of people and all of kingdoms. It was written in a language that everybody could hear about. And this was the story that it starts with, written in a language that is most familiar. As a side note, I love the story that uh, up until 1909, people, there were scholars who thought the New Testament, which was written in Koinonia Greek, was a Holy Spirit-inspired language. And so they never found any Koinonia Greek in the classical libraries that they excavated during archaeological digs. And they would find classical Greek, but never Koinonia Greek. So it left Bible scholars scratching their heads thinking, Koinonia Greek must be some kind of special language God gave his people. But then in 1909, they excavated a dump, a trash heap. And as they were digging in the trash heap, they found these love letters, and they found these uh, grocery lists, and they found these uh, receipts. And all of these trashed items of the common people was written in Koinonia Greek. And then the scholars slapped their head, and they were like, oh, the New Testament was written in the language of all the common people. The classical Greek was reserved for the libraries and the scholars, and that's what they had been excavating. But when they got among the commoners, they all spoke a language called the Koine Greek. Isn't it fantastic that God had written the scripture that told about Jesus Christ in a common language? He had it written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in a common language, so the most people in the entire world would be able to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. That, I believe, is why chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic. They were written in such a way that the people that were outside of God's people, outside of the Jewish people, would hear about the one true God that rules over all. And in fact, that is what this story is about. There's a couple of things here that just blow my mind. Can you imagine living in exile and living in a kingdom that all of a sudden now had written a law and, and had a decree that you were going to die. Daniel and his friends were under a death sentence. And when Daniel got the news, he didn't get prideful like, well, he can't do this to me. I, I am. You, do you know who I am? He didn't get petulant. He didn't get cynical and say, hey, you know what? Uh, I can't believe this. We're living in a terrible place. And he just moped around and he didn't panic. He didn't run around run away. Instead, he was calm and confident. He acted with prudence. This is really important for us to see. How could Daniel act with such prudence? Uh, prudence is this idea of wisdom and tact. When he responded to the decree that was coming for him, he, he didn't panic. He didn't work with pride. He wasn't petulant. He responded with prudence. And he asked, why did the king give such an order? And then he was told he had a bad dream and nobody can tell him what the dream is. Nobody can interpret it, so he's going to kill everybody. And Daniel, again, he acted with wisdom here, prudence. You know, we live in a nation that is not pro-God, and there are some of our faithful family in Christ. There are some of us, and sometimes I have to put myself in this, that we, I don't want to say worship, worship is too hard a word, but we long for the good old days. And so we get prideful. Our day back in the day was better than it is right now. Our country was better back then. Or we get petulant. We get cynical. Well, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. Or we get, uh, we get panicky. We got to get out of here. We got to escape and, and go to another country or maybe just form our own community. Anything to get out of this nation. Now, the reality is, if we go back several decades, if we go back 100 years, if we go back 200 years, if we go back to the founding of our nation, we were never 
a nation that honored God completely with all its ways. We were always a nation more similar to Babylon than we were to the kingdom of heaven. The reason why I say this is because Jesus says his kingdom is not of this world, and we are supposed to be citizens of heaven. He, he says in Hebrews, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God tells us that we are aliens and strangers on this earth waiting to go home to our real home, heaven, the heavenly kingdom. Now, when you start thinking about it this way, it doesn't do us much good to try to go back to the way things used to be because that's still not heaven. And it doesn't do us much good to panic about the way things are now because it's still not heaven. And it doesn't do us any good to cloister ourselves away and try to protect ourselves from all the dangers because it's still not going to be heaven. We don't want to be so comfortable here that we stop being faithful to God. And God has called us to be in the world, but not of the world. He has called us to go share the good news in a language that everybody can speak in a, in a common way that people can understand so that people can come to know Jesus. Daniel, he acted with prudence. He acted with wisdom. And then I want you to see that he immediately went to God in prayer. Remember that? He found out what was going on. And then in chapter 2, he went to his friends, verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that his friends, that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. He acted with prudence, and then he responded in prayer. I think when you hear about something terrible happening in our government, or you hear about a law you don't like, or you hear about a decree that makes you uncomfortable, or maybe you hear about a way and a lifestyle that is happening in our nation that goes against what God says, I think the first thing we need to do is gather together with our friends and family in the church, other brothers and sisters in Christ, and pray. We need to pray that God would have mercy on us, that God would put favor on us, that he would put wisdom on us, and that we would be able to act like Daniel act, with prudence, with wisdom. Better yet, that we would be able to act like Jesus act, acted, with love and truth and firmness and peace. But the principle of being calm and confident with God is uh, one that we can do no matter if we're living in ancient Babylon or in today's Babylon. God calls us to trust him. He calls us to turn over everything in prayer. In fact, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, who was a contemporary with Daniel, had written about the exile that the Jews were going to go into. In Jeremiah chapter 29, God explains through his prophet Jeremiah to the Jews exactly what would happen. He said, you're going to be taken captive, you're going to be put in Babylon, and here's how I want you to act while you're in Babylon. While you're in a nation that disregards me and tries to get you to compromise your faith, he said, I want you to have healthy families, I want you to take care of your homes, I want you to work, and I want you to try to do good to everyone. And then he said this, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, let's see if I can find it, Verse 7, uh, this is what God says. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to Yahweh for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God wants us to pray for our nation today. We want our nation to prosper, because if it prospers, we will prosper. God wants us to pray for the peace of our city and our community and our church and our state so that if it prospers, we too will prosper. God wants us to be men and women of peace that trust him completely. 
and turn to him and respond to all the circumstances around us with prayer. I need to ask you, and you have to evaluate yourself, how do you respond when things don't go your way? Are you angry? Do you act like a spoiled brat? Do you uh, lose your temper? Or do you act with a calm confidence in God and turn to him in prayer? Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was more beastly than he was honorable. And when he had a bad day, heads would roll. Daniel was more honorable. And when he had a bad day and he received his death sentence, he acted with wisdom. He acted with prudence. And then he responded with prayer. Peter, in his letter to uh, the church scattered about all of the region of the of the Roman region and the Middle East and Turkey and and uh, the Greek region, he um, he said we should turn to God in prayer. And this is what he says in chapter five of First Peter, uh, chapter five. Verse 6 and 7, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. We're going to come back to that verse in just a second. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God wants us to turn to him in prayer. Uh, I was just doing a Bible study with some uh, friends on Wednesday night, and we were studying First Peter. And it was just so awesome that this came up. And it was pointed out by the teacher, Kyle Eidelman. He said, the word cast means... Uh, not so much like casting a fishing line and then you reel it back in, and not so much like casting a net and then you pull it back in. He said the word cast there actually re- uh, means transferring of ownership. When we go to God in prayer, what we are praying about, whatever uh, is worrying us or bothering us or troubling us or whatever trouble we are in, we're supposed to transfer the ownership of that trouble to God. That's what it means when it says, cast your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. When we are able to transfer the ownership of our trouble to God, he cares for us and he's going to take care of us. And when we are able to honestly transfer that ownership over, then when he takes care of us, we have calmness and confidence in how he's going to react. That's what Daniel and his friends did. In chapter 2, when he said he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, that he and his friends may not be executed, they prayed, and then Daniel went to sleep. Can you imagine having a death sentence over your life and being so calm and confident in God that you could go to sleep? That's what it means to cast your anxieties on him. You've transferred your ownership of your trouble to God, and he is going to take care of it, and he's going to take care of you. Daniel knew this. Jesus knew this. When Jesus was troubled in the garden, right before he was going to his own execution, he prayed in the garden, God, take this cup from me. It's, it's un- almost unbearable, and I don't want to go through it, but whatever your will is, that is what I will do. Thy will be done, not my own. When Jesus had a calm confidence in God that God would take care of him. You know, even if we have to wait until our end days, the wait will be worth it because God is going to take care of us. He promises us he will. He promises us eternal life because he showed us that Jesus rose from the dead. That means we will rise from the dead too. If the worst this world can do to us is kill us, then we've won. While we live, we can live with a calm confidence in God. We live for Christ 
And if we are murdered for our faith, then we will be face to face with Jesus and have more joy and more peace than we've ever experienced before. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Daniel moved with prudence and then he moved to prayer. He responded with prayer. This is how we should respond, and here's why. It's the praise section. It's the song that tells us what the major theme of this book is, and it's a major biblical theme that we need to keep coming back to in our life over and over and over again. Verses 20 through 23. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. God is eternal. Wisdom and power are His. That means He knows all, and He is all-powerful. Omniscient and omnipotent. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. God is Lord over the earth and Lord over nations. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. God gives wisdom and understanding, especially when you seek wisdom out from him. The brother of Jesus, James, says, If you need wisdom, go to God and ask him, and he will give it to you because he is merciful and gracious, and he wants to give you wisdom. God can do it too. And then Daniel in this praise song, he says, I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. God is faithful to his people. You have given me wisdom and power and you have, known to, you have made known to me what we asked of you. God answers prayers. The reason why we can be calm and confident when we are struggling and we're suffering is because God is eternal. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He is the one actually in control of this earth, and he is the one who actually is in control of whether a nation succeeds or has uh, not, um, has, is, is unsuccessful. He is the one who reveals all wisdom and knowledge. He is the one who gives us the ways we should live. And listen, his ways are countercultural. It, it, you've heard of cancel culture. Well, let me tell you, if you live in the counterculture way of God, you're going to get canceled. But you can be calm and confident because his ways are the right ways. The Christian way right now is countercultural. Um, we, we say we're going to be selfless instead of selfish. We're going to put others above ourselves instead of trying to take advantage and put us first. Uh, we, we have a way that God says is right with our sexuality and with our identity. And it is not based on what we think is right. It's based on what he thinks is right. And it's countercultural. And the more you live there, the more you're going to get pressed from all around you, from Babylon, the New Age Babylon, to compromise your faith and go a different way. But I say, act with wisdom. Don't be prideful, petulant, or panic, but turn to God in prayer. And then God will answer our prayers, and we'll be able to give him praise, just like Daniel did. It goes on. I want to continue on, and this lesson is getting longer and longer, but if you can hang with me, this is so cool that we need to see this. Uh, there was this image of gold, silver, bronze, and iron that King Nebuchadnezzar saw, and um, it uses language from Genesis where God says he made man in his own image, and then he set them over uh, the whole earth and over all the plants and over all the animals and over all the birds of the air. God gave mankind, he gave Adam and Eve this responsibility, a real responsibility. That means he gave them a real choice. He gave them a real responsibility to be, to rule in his place as the image bearer of God. God. That's how God rules. That's a major theme all through the Bible. And it comes up in this dream of Nebuchadnezzar that God has given a real responsibility, real choice to humans to rule as his image bearers, to rule in his place with the authority God gives them 
and we mess it up. Time and time again, every time we have been given responsibility and authority and we turn away from God, we become less honorable and more beastly. In fact, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and King Nebuchadnezzar had absolute power, and he was so corrupted that when he woke up and had a bad dream, he would kill people over it. That is beastly. And you look at the glory God gives people to be made in his image, and then you look what we've done with it, and it's just like we turned it and rolled in the dirt with it, and we become like dust in the wind. That's the picture of this statue that Nebuchadnezzar had in his dream. The glory of God given to mankind to rule, and then we turn it into destruction and division and death. And God says he's not going to stand for that, and we'll be blown away like the dust in the wind. That's the curse that he gave Adam. Uh, He said, you're going to toil and slave. I gave you glory, but now you're going to just return to dust. And then Daniel tells him what the dream means. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, You are a king. You've been given a great responsibility. You're the head of gold in this statue. There's going to be another kingdom after you and another kingdom after you and another kingdom after you. This is how time is going to work. But then, whereas statues are made from human hands, there's going to be a rock cut out, and it's going to come, a small rock, and it's going to smash all the kingdoms. And that rock will not only smash all the kingdoms, it will grow into a kingdom that takes over the entire world. That's the kingdom of Christ. God, in his sovereignty, in his lordship over the nations, has infiltrated all these kingdoms with seeds of faith and people of faith to grow his kingdom. Daniel had infiltrated the kingdom of Babylon to reveal God's will to the people of Babylon, even so far as to write this prophetic word in a language they could understand so they could hear about the one true God. Then God infiltrates all these other kingdoms, so much so that he's able to bring about, through his guidance, through his plan, this small rock that is going to turn into the kingdom of heaven. And that small rock is represented, Jesus is represented by that small rock. In the height of one of the greatest empires of the world has ever seen, in the height of Rome, a small baby boy was born to two poor parents in the little no-name town of Bethlehem. And that little poor boy, born to poor parents in the poor town of Bethlehem, is the King of kings and Lord of lords who will establish his kingdom forever. We can have confidence in God because his kingdom is going to reign forever, and it's already entered into this nation of New Babylon. In fact, God tells us we should pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to take that prayer to bring God's will into earth wherever we go. We are the image bearers of God. We are to bring his kingdom into any territory we rule over. Anywhere we go, we're supposed to act with honor and not like a beast, like King Nebuchadnezzar. We're supposed to act with calm confidence, like Daniel did, like Jesus did, and turn to God in prayer, seeking his help when we need mercy and grace. And the scripture says, God will give it to us when we do that. Daniel, he acted with prudence. He turned to God in prayer, and then he praised God for God answering his uh, prayer requests. And God gave them this great vision that God's kingdom would replace all other kingdoms and become the one true kingdom that we would get to live in forever and ever. That gives us such great confidence, and it allows us to persevere. Prudence, 
prayer, praise, and perseverance. Do you know we can persevere until we get a promotion? Daniel remained faithful. And because he remained faithful, he was countercultural. And instead of being canceled by King Nebuchadnezzar and killed, Daniel was given a promotion. Daniel was made the head magician, the head enchanter, the head astrologer, the head of all the wise men in all the kingdom of Babylon. And then, this is grace upon grace, God continues to infiltrate the kingdom of Babylon, but now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were appointed uh, wise men over the provinces of Babylon. God's kingdom was already infiltrating the kingdom of Babylon to destroy it from the inside out and bring about the kingdom of God. Just a quick note. How did they destroy the kingdom of Babylon? How does God's kingdom destroy all other kingdoms? Jesus Christ shows us. He doesn't come in and fight with worldly ways, and he doesn't come in and kill people. He comes in and dies for them. Jesus Christ came to save the lost, and he came to serve instead of be served and give his life as a ransom for many. He came to save, he came to serve, and he came to sacrifice This is how Jesus Christ infiltrates the kingdoms of this world, takes them over, and establishes his kingdom on earth. When Daniel prayed with, when Daniel acted with prudence and then he prayed and gave God praise, he was acting like Jesus would show us how to act. Calm, confident in God, looking to save others, looking to serve others, and looking to even sacrifice himself so that others might be, might be saved. This is how the kingdom of God works. Jesus did inaugurate his kingdom. Remember, he got a crown, crowning him king, when he went to his sacrifice and received the crown of thorns. Remember, he was inaugurated king when they gave him a staff and they put a robe around his neck after they had whipped him for our sins. And they bowed down, mocking him in praise, Hail, King of the Jews, and he really was king. And then he ascended his throne to establish his kingdom forever when he was hung on the cross. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, says it this way. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. How does Jesus smash all the other kingdoms of the world? He does it through love. He does it through service. He does it through sacrifice. How does he call us to infiltrate and smash all the new Babylons of the world? He calls us to love like he loved He calls us to serve like he serves. He calls us to sacrifice like he sacrificed. He calls us to be all in. And how can we be all in? Well, we can be all in because we know that God's kingdom is going to replace all other kingdoms. How can we be all in? Well, we know that God loves us so much he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. How can we be all in? Well, he raised Jesus from the dead to show us that we would be raised from the dead and have eternal life as well. How can Daniel respond to a death sentence with prudence and prayer and praise. Well, he trusted a God that raises people from the dead. He trusts a God that rules over all the nations. He trusts a God that gives all wisdom. He trusts the God that is going to replace all kingdoms with his kingdom forever. See, Daniel chapter 2 was written to people in exile, telling them that they can remain faithful because God is going to win in the end. But it was also written to the people who ruled over those in exile, that their nation would not last forever, that God's nation would prevail. Which nation do you think the United States is right now? Are we the golden 
head of the statue? Are we the silver body? Are we the bronze legs? Are we the iron feet? You know, whichever nation and kingdom you think applies to the United States right now, no matter which nation we apply from that dream to us, we know that God's kingdom is going to replace even the United States and rule forever. And God has called us to be a citizen of heaven. Not that we shouldn't pray for our nation now to have peace. Not that we shouldn't seek to prosper the United States with all of our actions, with our hard work and making sure our homes are taken care of, making sure our families are taken care of. But we know we're not getting comfortable here, but we're living for our next age in heaven with Jesus Christ. That's how we remain calm. That's how we remain confident. That's how we move about with wisdom and respond to God in prayer. This is how you can do it too when we remember that God's kingdom is going to replace all other kingdoms and that he will rule forever, when we remember that he is all-powerful and all-knowing and he reveals wisdom and knowledge to us when we seek him out and we seek out his mercy and grace in prayer. Jesus gave us a reminder that's very similar, similar that God rules. Um, this cup and this bread, this bread and this cup, reveal to us that God rules over death, he rules over sin, and he rules over Satan. Would you take out your bread? This is a great reminder for us. When we participate in the bread, the scripture tells us we're participating in the body of Christ. Jesus' body took our sins in with him, and he put them to death, and then he was risen from the grave sin-free, just like he makes us sin-free with his sacrificial death. Would you participate in his body? And Jesus says, when we participate in the cup, we are participating in his blood. The cup of the new covenant poured out in his blood. The new covenant says that we are forgiven, that he has defeated death and he has defeated sin. And to prove it was all true, he was raised from the dead. Would you participate in the cup? I praise God for this reminder that he even rules over sin, he even rules over death, and he even rules over Satan. God's kingdom is going to replace all other kingdoms and live forever. And this is a reminder of that. So how are you all in? How are you moving about when something doesn't go your way and learning to turn to God in prayer? You know, one of the ways that you can be all in and turn to God in prayer with other believers is to get in a small group. Are you all in in God's kingdom, grouped with other Christians to learn how to pray when things don't go your way? Are you all in with Jesus Christ? You know, the scripture says if, that you're, not, if you're not in with Jesus, if you don't entrust yourself completely to him, when his kingdom overtakes all other kingdoms, we won't be a part of it. Are you all in? Jesus says if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead to save you from your sins, you should be baptized. You should be all in completely buried in his grave and raised by faith to a new life. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ and made him your Lord and Savior by being baptized, we want you to be all in. We want you to take that best next step. Would you fill out a connection card and let us know that that's your decision and we'll help make it happen for you. You can be all in in God's kingdom starting now.
And if you haven't joined a small group yet, we want to help you take your next best step and join a small group because that's where you're going to learn how to pray. That's where you're going to act, learn how to act with prudence, with wisdom. That's where you're going to learn how to praise God because he still rules and is, is bringing about his kingdom even now. If you're already baptized and you're already in a group, are you all in and serving his kingdom? You see, God is still going about infiltrating all other kingdoms to bring about his will and we can do that by serving with wisdom and love and sacrifice, just like Jesus did. If you need to serve or find a place to serve in God's kingdom, we want to help you do that too. Fill out a connection card, and that might be your next best step, serve in his kingdom. This is one of the ways that we're going to bring about his kingdom. We're going to act like Jesus. We're going to seek to save the lost. We're going to serve instead of being served, and we're going to sacrifice ourselves so that some might be saved. Fill out a connection card, and that will be your best next step, and we'll help, help you take it. In the meantime, God bless you. Keep seeking out his will and his mercy in prayer, and we'll see you next week. We want to help you take your next best step. If you would like more information about how to do that, visit us online at wcconline.org and fill out a connect card. If this message has inspired you, be sure to share it with a friend and don't forget to keep up with us on social media. Thanks again for joining.